This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PGAF Canada Tea Talks podcast. My name is Mark Rowe from TSN. Really excited to chat with today's guest. I'm going to do one of those things where I tell you everything about the guest without telling their name and then finally reveal it. So let's begin. Uh, he is the group category manager of PVH Brands Australia. And if you don't know, PVH is a clothing company which owns brands like Nike and Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein, among others. Uh, He enjoys driving sales and his colleagues a little crazy. Those are his words, not mine, I swear. Um, He holds an MBA from the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology and is also a TED speaker, which after you're done listening to this podcast, just watch how good his video is. And just before I actually reveal who it is, let me say, I've been lucky to interview some world-class athletes in hockey, Wayne Gretzky and Sidney Crosby in tennis. I've chatted with Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. I was there for Bianca Andreescu's U.S. Open title. But never have I ever interviewed a serial dissenter until now. Let's welcome Andrew Miller to the show. Andrew, so great to uh, to be joined with you. I hope that I did you justice here by that intro. And uh, a serial dissenter. How do you how do you become a serial dissenter? Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I think I need to get you to introduce me to most of the meetings in my business now. Actually, I could really <laughs> do with that sort of hype. How do you become a serial dissenter? Well, I think it's natural for some people, and I think some of it is a, a learned behavior depending on the type of business you're in. But for me, I, I think a lot of it comes from your upbringing, right? I come from um, a very working class area in Scotland. Um, I live in Australia now and I have done for 22 years. So um, the accent that you might hear today is a little bit of a, <laughs> a blend across the two. But um, uh, when you grow up in a place like I grew up, disagreeing with people is very normal. And telling people that they're full of it is incredibly normal. There's no tall poppies in the middle of Scotland, I can assure you. And it kind of works quite well in Australia because they have this thing called tall poppy syndrome, which is quite well publicized. And it's absolutely about cutting you down if you if you grow too tall. Um, they, they genuinely do that here. Um, so serial dissenter is really one of the ways of fighting back against that and disagreeing with a lot of what you hear. Not in a bad way, though. Um, I hope not anyway. But certainly I've managed to piss people off like you wouldn't imagine uh, all the way through my life. I think I probably still do it quite a lot. Um, and often I find that in, in certain workplace settings, when I walk into a group meeting, it's usually, oh, here we go. So that definitely <laughs> happens. Um, and you have to really choose your audience because sometimes um, I don't. And, and that's okay because I think my colleagues are used to me in this business. It's probably why I've lasted so long in the job that I've got. But, yeah, you definitely, um, you definitely need to pick your battles. I mean, I did the TED talk five years ago now, and I've learned and changed a lot since then as well from outing myself in that way. So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. 
I'm sure, and maybe even a little liberating by... Uh, oh, by you have no idea how liberating it is. Sometimes <laughs> it's career limiting, but it's liberating. And sometimes you've got to choose one or the other. Well, and, and you know, I have, um, you know, I'm not just saying this because you're the guest. I have worked towards trying to be a little bit more like you in my life because I am that guy who just wants to get along with everyone and, and kind of moves away from conflict. And, and there's even times where I have a conversation or I'm in a maybe even a meeting and I come away and go, why, why did I agree to that? Like, why, like, why didn't I push back? And, and maybe that's just our culture. And maybe as a Canadian, I'm, I'm too polite. I don't know. Um, but I, I think I've, I've done a little bit more and, and just as a broadcaster and, you know, interviewing a big part of it is also is, is listening to your subject, but then, you know, formulating in your head, hold on a second. Like that doesn't, that doesn't add up. So um I'm, I'm your subject. And if I'm trying to become a little bit more like Andrew Miller, tell me what are the pitfalls of this approach? What should I like, what should I be worried about? Or maybe more so what, what should I watch out for and try to avoid? So here's the irony going along to get along is far more successful. Right. And it's what most people do. And it's a survival instinct in many ways. If you look at it from a sort of caveman perspective, therefore what you're doing is not bad. What I'm doing is equally not bad. It just means that I um, mentally probably feel a bit more free in that regard. Um, for me, going along to get along is it provokes a reaction in me. I think it's the, your amygdala, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. I go straight for the fight. Um, and then going along to get along tends to uh, coincide with the freeze to flight um, instinct. So what advice would I give? There's so many things you can do. And it's really about how you choose to to dissent and there are there's a number of ways and there's three key sort of personality types that i see there's your colluder right and they're the people that um, need to belong more than they need to be heard which is your go along to get along kind of person then there's the opposite right you've got adversaries and they need to be heard more than they need to belong right and a dissenter sort of sits somewhere in the middle there um the the person that needs to be heard Generally, you'll find your CEOs of this world, right? And they, they don't need to get along anymore. They're at the top and, and they're at the pinnacle. They're also usually psychopaths, which is a bit scary, but that's another issue we can talk about at another time. <laughs> but, um, and then, then you've got hierarchies, right? And hierarchies in most organizations around the world naturally just reduce dissent because you don't feel comfortable speaking truth to power. So all of that wrapped up for me is a, a lack of leadership. And if you've got really good leadership that encourages and um, stimulates debate, you will get better results. Here's the biggest challenge, though. If you're a serial dissenter like I am, and just to put the context around it, serial dissenters are usually those people that will ask an awful lot of questions when you finish presenting an idea or talking about it. And it can feel like they've really ripped your idea apart. And that's bad because that's not the intent. Um, and impact and intent are really important here. But the, the intent of a serial dissenter is really to take it apart, understand it, and try and make it a little bit better. That's generally what the, the, the background is to that. Um, and so when you've got good leadership that will foster that debate and encourage that in any organization, and for that matter, in any sort of political sphere or country in leadership, then you get a better result. And that's proven. There's research that backs that up. Um, and so when I was um, doing a lot of the research for when I did the, the, my TED Talk, the, there's a really great study that Deloitte did, which just proved just how much more productive organizations are when they allow and foster 
dissent and, and discussion. So when you look at history, this, is, this isn't just a relatively new phenomenon. When you look at history, you've got companies like General Motors. And there was a guy called Alfred Sloan that ran that originally. And he used to have this thing called developed disagreement, where he would not make a decision unless he'd heard all sides. That's great leadership. And that takes a strength of character. Um, when you are somebody that goes along to get along, though, that's really uncomfortable. You don't like turning around to your colleague who you sit next to most days and saying, hey, I really think that was quite an ordinary idea. I really think you could have done that better. Um, and likewise, you can't do that to your boss in most organizations. Most of them have a really strong ego. Unfortunately for me, I do. And I'm really lucky because I've got, I've got a great boss. And I feel sorry for her because she puts up with me on a regular basis. <laughs> and she, she'll ask my opinion and she knows what she's about to get. And it is one of those unfortunate instances where when you ask me my opinion, I'm weird. I tell you my actual opinion. I don't tell you what I think you need to hear. Um, and that's really what gets me into trouble. But at the same time, um, can create some great, some great outcomes. But what I will say is dissenters are not always right. And the challenge is when a dissenter speaks up, everyone else shuts up. And that's not right either. It needs to be that you take your cue from the dissenter and join in. And if you can do that, then everyone can have a contribution and then you get a better outcome. And it's not groupthink. It's absolutely about debate and driving that forward. So coming right back to your original question, how do you get better at it? You just start talking and you start asking. And I often find that asking questions is a really safe way to open up the door to dissent mm-hmm. um, and the other part of it which I really really value is listening and I don't think people do enough of that I think people will sit there in silence and wait for their turn to talk and when you listen you're telling the other person that they exist so you've really got to practice your listening skills so I'm, I'm in an environment where I sell for a living right I'm always selling something but what makes us really successful at what we do is we listen to what our partner is after and we make sure we can deliver upon that and that comes from just asking lots of questions on the back of what they've said and just trying to drill out the best best result so it would be a lot easier to not be a dissenter just to go along with things oh yeah (laughs) and and our audience doesn't have the benefit of seeing your facial reaction when i said that but you, you do you did mention the positive outcomes that can come from this so Give us a few examples of the benefits of being a dissenter, whether it's in the workplace or, or socially. But I'm, I'm sure, you know, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't be the success that you are if you didn't have some of those benefits. Yeah, I'm just going to bring up some actual statistics because I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's hard to argue with facts. I always say that to my team when somebody tells me I feel this. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> Love your feelings. Let's have a hug. But what's the fact? Let's talk about the facts here. So um, I'll give you a few facts. Let me just, I've, I've got a whole note of them here. If you're in a, com- a company, right, that has a really high tolerance of dissent, and usually those are the more inclusive and diverse companies. Inclusion and diversity are, is, is such a buzzword in most businesses these days, and it's great, and it's, it's about time. Um, but they generally will have a more um, uh, capable high high capability of tolerating dissent you're likely to be two times more likely to be innovators if you're in a 
company with inclusion, diversity, and a tolerance of dissent. You're three times better identifying and building leadership. You're four times more able to coach people for performance. And the reason you can do that is because you can have an honest conversation. When you're coaching people for performance, a lot of the time it's about hinting to them that you could try this or you could do this. And you're trying not to hurt someone's feelings. But then they don't know where they stand. It's a bit like raising children, right? They need boundaries and discipline. And I often find with my coaching conversations with my team, the more direct I am, the more blunt I am the easier it is for them to get the hint and then work on an action plan to make sure that they can get better, all in the interest of growth. And they found that companies that are really good at this outperform the peer companies by 80% overall. So there's there's some actual hard um, statistical data across 450 global companies. And they all happen to be in the top 10% of performing companies that have this inclusion and diversity and this tolerance dissent. And then you've got entire countries where it's more culturally acceptable to be dissenting. When I was um, doing a lot of the research for this, it was really interesting. The, um, the producer that you, when you do a TED talk, there's a producer, there's a coach, and there's all these people that help you do it. And it's an amazing experience. Um, but what my research back, um, that was backed up by Geert Hofstede in the Netherlands is the country with the highest tolerance to dissent is actually Israel. And, the producer was like, no, we're not, we're not going to talk about Israel. Like, I completely understand that. And I can understand from a, from a political point of view why you wouldn't. But let's look at the cultural point of view of, of the people there. Um, they abs- I don't know if you've been around many Israeli people, but I've been lucky enough to when I lived in Melbourne and I lived in the, the main Orthodox Jewish community. It's brilliant to watch. They absolutely have a it's, a heated studio debate, for want of a better word, at every single meal. And so when you're sitting and having, say, Shabbos, Friday night dinner with, uh, with a bunch of friends who are from the Jewish community, um, all of my, the ones I knew were from Israel, it's fantastic to watch. They, they, they lay it all out. They'll have a heated debate, but then they'll be best of friends anyway, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what you say. And that's like probably a lot of families when you think about it. But, that there's a country that... Um, that really does lead the way in in tolerating differing points of view, which sounds kind of contradictory when you look at, I guess, what's happening in that country. But at the same time, when you look at um, isolated pockets of that, of that country, then you absolutely can see that, yes, they absolutely do yell at each other and scream at each other all the time, but they do tolerate that dissent nonetheless. So um, then you've got other countries like uh, Bhutan, which measures gross, gross national happiness. They have a really, really low, tolerance of dissent but they're the happiest country in the world probably because they all don't bother fighting and arguing so much yeah i think i'd probably rather be in bhutan for a holiday yeah if i'm being honest I think but, that's, yeah. that, that sounds like your kind of place oh it'd be lovely <laughs> it'd be really cool. nice so so andrew a lot of people who are listening to this and much of our audience works in in the golf industry the pga professionals you're giving them all these stats and I can only imagine they're thinking, okay, fine. Like I, I should be doing that. I'm going to push back on everything that my boss says, or I'm going to push back on everything that, that my colleagues are saying and disagree for the sake of disagreeing, because I just listened to Andrew Miller and he tells me that it's, it's great to do it. So how, how can we properly encourage dissent in our organizations? Yeah, it's a good question. Don't disagree for the sake of disagreeing for want of a better phrase, it makes you a dick, right? <laughs> okay. Um, we don't need that, you know, We and and take it from me, I've done that, you know, I've made those mistakes. You don't want to be that person. Um, like dissent 
you need to speak up, right? If you if you really disagree with something, you absolutely should say, look, here's what I think. Um, but it needs patience. Not everybody's going to be comfortable with you speaking up. Right? And so sometimes you have to choose your target and you have to be very, very careful about how you do it. Um, and I often find that sometimes just asking the question, do you mind if I ask something? Do you mind if I say something? How many people are going to say no? Right? Yeah. You know, so you've opened the door right there. Um, so it needs patience. It makes people nervous. And because what you're really proposing is change, change to their idea. And not a lot of people really like change. You know, everybody's quite comfortable with where they are. And nobody will really fully support you until you show them overwhelming proof that that change works. So it's a journey and it takes time and you have to take small steps. So it needs compromise. It needs compromise on their part and on your part. And like I said earlier, the centers are not always right, but they're good at opening the debate and stimulating the conversation. Um, the other thing is check your ego. This other person, you're about to confront their ego and their idea. Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared to be the one that just says, yep, okay, got it. And then ask more questions. And asking questions is a really, really safe way of dissenting. Just because it shows that you're trying to understand rather than tell them what you think. You know, I've been very guilty of that. You know, I remember it, I had a, a coach once, an executive coach, and she said, oh, here we go again. It's like, hang on, I heard what you said, but let me tell you what I think, and here's why you're wrong. And that's just the wrong way to go about it. And, you know, I've been fired from jobs just because I'm like that all the time. Yeah. So um, really asking questions, I, I have found is to be the safest way to approach it and, and phrasing them in a way which just makes it easy for the other person to know that you've actually listened to what they've said. And as I said earlier, when you listen, you, you're acknowledging that person's existence and you show that you're truly engaged with what they've said. Um, change, though, it's a tough one. So many people are really, really set with, no, no, it works. And that's a fair comment, you know. It really is a fair comment. Say, so, well, if it works, why do we need to change it? And so you really got to move the, the conversation away from change to evolve. Everything evolves. As humans, we do too. So you really got to try and work that into the conversation where possible. Well, and, and it's it's interesting to hear your story, Um because in a way, I, I can relate to the fact that you got to where you are by making some mistakes, by by knowing, you know, when did it work? When did it not work? You, you know, someone that's on television, I, I, you know, you're on live television, you're making mistakes all the time. So uh, as you've gotten out to this place and you mentioned, you know, having dinner with friends and how their dissension works because they can have that conversation, but still be friends. You see it in the workplace. Who is your example of someone who dissents well? That's a good question. I, I see it. I actually see it all the time. You know? And I see good examples, right? Leadership, like where are you seeing strong leadership? And generally strong leadership is where that person takes a position that you may or may not agree with, but they will they will say, no, this is the right thing to do, and this is why, and they'll think longer term. So I find that I respect people who who do that. They're, they're thinking ahead and saying, yeah, I know you disagree with me, but this is the reason why we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that could be really scary. That can be somebody like Elon Musk, who I would fundamentally disagree with in his day-to-day life. Right? Mm-hmm. But you can't, you can't take away from him that he's trying to push the boundaries and, and, and move things forward. Now, his motivations might not be what I would choose to have, 
but he dissents bloody well. You know, he really does. And um, he gets it wrong too. Look at this uh, attempt at taking over Twitter. Right. He's just, he's, he's made mistakes with how he's gone about it. He won't admit that. He's got a <laughs> bit of an ego. But, you know, good on him for having a go. So I think he does dissent incredibly well. Um, you know, he's launching rockets into space, for goodness sake. It's um, it's hilarious. It's, it's like these billionaires and their rockets. It's quite funny to watch right now. But, again, he's not listening too much to the critics. and He's pushing ahead. It's the same with his business and how he, he, he's very public with what he wants to say about Tesla. Um, and his chairperson must be going a little bit nuts at times of what he says publicly. But again, he's got he's got the confidence to say what he wants to say and to push push the needle. So, uh, as as someone who um, has been successful in the workplace and has become a public figure because of the TED Talk, and whether that was what you wanted or not, and um, whether you're embracing it or not, you put yourself out on the internet, and everyone suddenly knows who Andrew Miller, the dissenter, is. Um, how, how have you changed since the moment you did that talk? It was out on the internet. I think you said it was five years ago, um, especially specifically with your, your craft of dissent. Do you do it more? Do you do it less? Do you do it differently? Like how, how have you changed since then? I've changed a lot. Um, so it's interesting. I work in the fashion industry and I have done a lot over my career. I've worked in a few different industries, but I, I like fashion. And the reason I like it is we change every six months. Mm-hmm. It's a new season. So we just throw out what we did and start all over again. So that's really refreshing. And not many industries I've worked in get to do that. Most most companies I've worked in will evolve over time and improve over time. Um, but we get to just go, you know what? We're all going to move from blue to green. And off we go. And um, it's, it's fascinating to me how the public will just follow that. So I kind of um, <clears throat> changed the way I look at it a bit. And I had a lot of... Um, time to reflect here's what's really interesting so when i um when i did that talk i was sitting down with the ceo of um the organization at the time afterwards and they said to me you know andy you know you've built you've hung your hat on being a dissenter but if you want to get along around here you're gonna have to learn to shut your mouth Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like wow did you watch my TED talk? Do you know who I am? Cause I've kind of worked for you for a while now. Yeah. Um, but it, it was true. You know, he, he was right and it didn't stop me, but it did change the way that I look at it. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that whole thing of, I'm, I'm always a bit wary of, of, um, sort of phrases like this, but feedback is a gift. That was one of those examples where feedback was a gift and it really changed my, view on it because up until that point i'd been you know what i've got away with this till now um it's been a bit of a wild ride but you know i am who i am and i'm comfortable with that and i still am very comfortable with it i just know that now i choose my target and my audience a lot more carefully and i'm much more aware of the impact i'm having on other people when i do it um and that that depends on again hierarchy so if i'm talking to the members of my team I'm very, very, very careful to make sure they don't feel like they're being put upon, bullied, or in any way, um, you know, attacked. You know? And it's really about encouraging the best from them because um, 
I have mentors who are more senior than me, but I also have mentors who are more junior than me, for want of a better phrase, because you learn so much. And in a fashion industry, you've got a lot of younger kids coming through. So um, I, I make sure that when I'm dissenting with them, it's like challenging what they're saying and why they're saying it. A lot of the time in my, um, in my, in my direct team, it's usually social media. And it's, you know, they're talking about TikTok, Instagram, and I'm just rolling my eyes and going, you know, that's not real, right? You know that this, and there, or when I ask them to get in touch with somebody that's straight onto the keyboard to email somebody, I'm like, see that device over there that you pick up and press the buttons on that thing called a phone where you can have a conversation. <laughs> so I tend to push it a little bit that way. And then they'll teach me in reverse um, how to do various things and why it's so important to listen to various Instagram influencers and so on. So I find it's, um, for me now, it's like, if I'm talking to the members of my team, it's very much about asking questions, pushing them, challenging them, and telling them why I'm asking them the question rather than just asking the question and walking away and dropping a smoke bomb. And then when it's my peers, it's a lot easier. It's like they're, we, we, we're all doing the same thing. We're all doing various parts of the business. So it becomes more about um, focusing on the objective and the outcome. So why am I dissenting? Well, our objective is X. Let's talk about that, right? Why do you think we need to do it that way? Great. Why do you think we need to do it that way? Fantastic. And then using it more as a collaborative way of getting people together so that we all then come to the agreement. And then when I, when I talk to people above me in an organization, it's, it's, it's a lot more careful now than it used to be. It used to be like, you know what? I'm me. I'm this mouthy little Scottish guy that gets away with this and has done for years. Um, so now I'm very, very careful. My direct boss, no problems whatsoever. Um, I think because she's English as well. Um, we come from a similar background. It's a very direct culture we come from. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Australia, when I speak to anybody Australian, I really have to change the way I approach it. And similarly, when I speak to head office in New York, you know, it's just it's just dealing with different people in different cultures. So in terms of Canada, I've only been once. So unfortunately I can't give you too much of an insight into how it is in the Canadian culture. Um, But um, it's, it's one of those things that you have to sort of figure out within your own organization and culture as well and your comfort levels. Um, But man, I I think I've changed so much and I've changed in terms of um, mindfulness. I think it's something that I've I've practiced for a number of years. I'm, I'm a meditator. So being more aware of my feelings, emotions, and instincts in the moment is something that's really helped me control how I then dissent and who I dissent to in the manner in which I do it. Does that, I feel like I'm really rambling on something. No, no, this is great. Right. Well, yeah. and, you know, I wonder, are you someone that has struggled with stubbornness? Because there could me be- personally or in, other, in others? Well, uh, well, just I'll ask you personally, like as a dissenter, th- there there could be this element that like you always think that you're right and you stick to that and that's yeah. what you're pushing back on. And it's almost like a game to you that like, you know, I, I know that I'm right. I'm going to push and I'm going to see if I can win this battle. Like, do you? Yeah, is that something definitely that not. No, I, I don't. And I think I've, I see that in others. And that actually when I find somebody that, who is stubborn, that's when I really dig my heels in because I know they're wrong. But in myself, I generally am not. I mean, we have conversations all the time in the workplace where um, there's going to be a change. And as long as I can understand why and the reason, and I can back the reason, of course not. No way. And if that isn't advantageous to me, unfortunately for me, I tend to do that and go, no, no, that's the right thing for the overall business. So let's do it. 
So not stubborn. Never, never really would have described myself as stubborn. And I'm pretty sure if I was to ask my wife, she would say the same thing. Okay. I hope. But yeah, but you never there, know. Like, so there's not that element that dissenters think they're always right. There are dissenters who think they're always right, but they're not, frankly. Nobody is always right. right. You can't say that about yourself. I mean, I think we can all identify people in the world sphere who think they're always right or will never back down when they've said something. And that's dangerous. You just can't do that. If you're not prepared to listen and hear the other person out, then you're really, really going to struggle in life. Mm-hmm. You have to assume good intent in the other person. You have to assume that they are coming from the right place. And if you can do that, you can always be open to a, a really great dialogue. If you can't, you're all in trouble. You know, then everybody sticks their heels in and then you get conflict. And I don't mind a bit of conflict, but as long as it's constructive. I'll, I'll leave you with this because you, you brought up that you're, your wife and you have a family. Um, and, and if I'm, I'm getting too much into your personal life, you say, Mark, you've crossed <laughs> the beauty of a no. podcast. We can cut this all out. No, don't worry. And all good. What, what is your advice to someone in, in their social life where you're dissenter, you're being successful, but then you come home and you maybe can't be that same person? Oh, you definitely can't be that same person. Okay. <laughs> you know, what's really interesting, actually. So we've had, what, two and a bit years of, of working from home through COVID. And if you'd asked my wife before COVID what I did for a living, she would have gone, I don't know. You just sell shit, you know? That's his job. <laughs> he just, he just, he comes home and he works for this company and he does this. I'm like, okay. Now it's really interesting because um, she can hear me all day i'm quite loud <laughs> so i've got these noise cancelling headphones on with a microphone sticking out of them and so when we're all on teams meetings and so on through the day i don't realize how loud i am my wife's downstairs working in the another room and she can hear me very clearly so sometimes i'll get the who was sarah i'm like oh did you hear that conversation <laughs> um but she's also heard how i engage and interact with the people that I work with and my customers as well. And it's, I may be so bold, I think it's given her a newfound appreciation of what I do and how I do it and and why I'm good at what I do. Um, At the same time, it's really interesting because uh, recently um, she got a promotion at work and so she's now leading a, a team of people who she used to work alongside. And so we're having a lot of conversations around that and she definitely has some dissenters in her team. So it's been it's been great actually. It's been a, it's probably the first time in a long time where we've we've had that kind of level of conversation. Other than how was your day? Terrible, great, yada yada yada. Um, and then with my kids, I, I probably am a bit more dissenting with them for sure. I've got an eleven-year-old girl and a thirteen-year-old boy, and um, you know they're getting to that age where they are starting to test their boundaries and learn. Um, what they want to be or they just want to have an opinion mm-hmm. um and it's really hard and this is where i've really had to watch myself a lot more um because you know my wife and i've been together for 24 years right we know each other well we know how to push the buttons and not push the buttons but with your kids you're learning them and you're learning how they develop and i think my daughter who's the younger one and maybe i don't know right but i think that because she watches her older brother well, he can get away with it. So now it's my turn and I shall push the boundaries. I'm like, no, 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 you're not ready yet, young lady. You will just do this this way. And mm-hmm. so I've had to transition with her into not being that this is the law of the house, you know, and listening more. 
that's really hard when you know that you genuinely know they're fundamentally wrong and they're going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as they're making a mistake that's not going to harm them in any way, I just have to let them go. And that's really, really tough. Um, so yeah, the, the dissenting piece in my personal life is probably the bit where I need to practice more and be more uh, tolerant. And I think with those that are closest to you, who you love, they're the ones you usually take the shortcuts with because mm-hmm. you can but when it's children, you can't. So I've got a long way. I still have a long way to go and a lot to learn. And I think I'm going to be learning forever, which is not a bad thing at all, is it? That's what keeps us going. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope so. Andrew, uh, so much uh, great information here um, and, and love your perspective on, especially as someone who this does not come naturally whatsoever. No one would call me a dissenter at all in my family or my workplace, but uh, I'm trying. I'm working on it. So uh, really appreciate you joining us for this episode. I should point out you're joining us from beautiful Sydney, Australia. So um, thank you for, for taking the trip here uh, to Canada and talking to a bunch of Canadians. So really appreciate this. No, it's absolutely my pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about myself and my journey. It's always fun. I like talking about myself. I've got a massive ego. Um, <laughs> and uh, I uh, hope to get to Canada someday and um get back there because it's uh, you guys are really lucky i think you're like us in australia you've got an amazing country and a great culture well we're commonwealth partners right so indeed we are for yeah. now anyway who knows yeah, what happens yeah. next <laughs> yeah that's true good point uh great stuff uh, and to you the audience thanks for tuning into this episode of t talks podcast be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or podbean for up-to-date podcast alerts and early access This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living.